0: So this morning we continue our study through the gospel of matthew we 're in uh, chapter twenty three and um, we 're going to basically uh, break this down into two portions uh, this morning we will be covering verses one through fifteen and then next week uh, we will be doing the remainder sixteen through twenty or uh, through thirty six <clears throat> or actually thirty nine is what we 're going to be covering next week um, The title of this morning's message is A Word of Warning, and uh, depending on how we say that title and those words uh, really helps us understand the heart of God, you know, because a word of warning, it could be like a word of warning that wishes condemnation or a word of warning that desires conviction and repentance, and so we need to go with the latter because that's truly what the Lord desires, is for us to come to that place of when we are warned to be convicted, to confess and repent, and turn toward Him. And um, so that's the title, a word of warning. So let's take a moment, for all that can, please let's stand. We're going to read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven, Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Heavenly Father, we now turn our attention from a dialogue that was being had between our Lord Jesus Christ and the religious leaders who were trying to entrap him. Now to a conversation, the addressing of the crowd by our Lord Jesus and also to his disciples. Lord, that in this warning, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us understanding of those things that are a concern to you. Those things that we should be aware of, attentive to, and draw ourselves away from them. Lord, even you, Lord, did not ignore, nor sweep under the rug those that were false teachers. Those who were blemishes in our love feasts. Those who served as reefs that cause shipwrecks. No, Lord, even you at this moment have turned your attention from them and now are addressing those around you, bringing to their attention those things that they are to know. And in that knowledge, Lord, to discern and exercise Wisdom, Lord, to ensure that they, as they are consecrated unto You, that they are holy as You are holy. That they, Lord, uh, walk in righteousness and holiness, walking in the Spirit and not giving way to the flesh. That You would be honored and glorified and Your people, Lord, would remain set apart from the world and unto you, even from those within, that are parading around and causing burdens to come upon the people that they should not be. And so, Father, give us understanding. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand what we have before us. And Lord, more importantly, through this all and in this all, that you would help us to see the love that you have for your people, but also, Lord, in these warnings, you are still crying out to these people, Father, to repent and to turn to you. And so, Lord, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, we ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. After having exchanged questions with the religious leaders, Jesus turned to the crowd now and addressed them. He has among the crowd not only those who are just following him because they're curious, they want to see, they want to hear, they want to experience Jesus for whom they heard that he was and how he was performing all these miracles. But among them, we have these people who are referred to as disciples, so followers of Jesus Christ. ...are among them, and he's addressing them now. He's turned his attention from the religious leaders uh, that were trying to entrap him... ...trying to ask questions that would put him in a corner... ...and and force him to answer in, in a way that was contrary to the law of God. Now he's done with them, and quite frankly, they're done with him. Because in Matthew chapter 22... The last chapter that we went over last week in verse 46, it says, And no one was able to answer him a word, and we know that from what we went over. Nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. Yeah, they're, wow, you know, what can we ask him that he does not know? There's no way that we have been able to entrap him, lead him down this path that forces him to respond in a way that is contrary to the law. And so they didn't dare ask him any more questions. That was it. Jesus also was no longer asking questions, but making statements, giving warnings. And also, as we will see next week, he was shedding tears for Jerusalem, for his people. Why? Because they were not willing. willing not willing to what? Not, not willing to see him for who he was as a messiah as a savior, savior, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They, they, they were not willing to believe. They refused to. They turned away. Jesus continues to make corrections to what the religious leaders were requiring and teaching the people and giving warnings to those teaching such things and placing such large and heavy burdens on the people. The pastor, Jesus' under shepherd, does not have the liberty to teach the love of God without teaching the judgment of God. We wouldn't know our need for the love of God, the grace of God, if we didn't know the judgment of God that remains in us if we remain in our sins. No, we, we don't have that liberty. We need to teach the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God includes the love of God, the judgment of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And if we don't, then we misrepresent who God is and help people understand and to bring them into that place of understanding His attributes, His character, and the fullness of who He is. All of it is to be taught in order to understand and appreciate our need for God's grace. And the love that he poured out on us, even while we were still sinners, giving his son for the sake of reconciling us to himself. That is the message that I heard. It wasn't, I'll fix this, I'll fix that. Uh, That may or may not happen. But really what I first heard is he can fix this problem that you have of not knowing eternal life and the hope of it outside of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's what I heard when I came to Christ. That was it. I wasn't coming to be healed of some kind of illness. I wasn't coming to, uh, because I had a broken marriage or a broken relationship with someone, not because my life was falling apart in, 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 in any other way. In fact, I was kind of abil- oblivious to all that. I just came because I knew oh, this, God, this God, He loves me. And he, and he demonstrated it through Jesus Christ. And the way I know a relationship with the Father is through belief in the Son. That's why I came to Him. That's what drew me into the Father, is the love that He first demonstrated to me. And so it's with that understanding, as we explain and proclaim the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, we even in this moment as he's giving warnings to the people, addressing the people, how it is that still we need to keep in tension with these warnings, the words of the Apostle Peter, that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so it's with that understanding that we come to this place of uh, learning and studying the warnings to the people that the Lord Jesus gave. Verses 1 and 2 say, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the words they do. For they preach and do not practice. Verses 1 and 2, this is Jesus addressing the crowds and his disciples regarding the scribes and Pharisees. Remember that he had just gotten done with his exchange with the Pharisees and the scribes. They're still there. I'm sure they they haven't left. They were, yeah, they didn't dare ask him any more questions. But he had just gotten done with this exchange with them. It's like, okay, so now I'm going to address you. About them. (laughs) If someone's going to talk... To other people about you, would you leave? No. I, what? What did you say? Uh, I want to hear all what are you gonna ta- What are you gonna say about me? Right? I want to hear this. These scribes and Pharisees were people who were in positions of authority, uh, giving the law and judging the people. Now, what we need to also understand with this is that Jesus was not encouraging the overthrow of those in positions of authority, but actually acknowledged and respected them. And yet, now is making sure that the people have a good, solid, clear understanding of who they were and what to avoid. Do as they say and not as they do. Which I've heard, I haven't heard it. Uh, said here lately, but I've heard people say in the past, I think it was a more of a popular saying in the past, do as I say, not as I do, right? Now we just don't say it, but we do it. <laughs> Jesus was telling them that they were to observe the law and honor what these men said because he knew, Jesus knew, that they were in positions that were ordained by God. But they were not to imitate their conduct. Their word was the law. It was the word of God. Their conduct was from the pit of hell. These men knew the word of God well. They taught the word well, but they did not practice what they preached. That's, that's sad. And, and unfortunately, it happens Yes, no one is perfect, but at the same time to deliberately be callous toward the very word that you're preaching and teaching and expecting others and, and giving counsel with, you yourself are not doing. As a pastor, as an elder, as a deacon, as a leader within the church, shame on us if that's the case. These are the very people that Jesus was referring to. So, first of all, Jesus did not give them license to disrespect them. That's not what Jesus was doing. In fact, he laid this out in the first couple of verses here. He didn't give them that option. Secondly, J- Jesus did not give them justification for disregarding the law because of them. In spite of them, they were to follow the law, they were to be obedient to the Word of God. Jesus expected his disciples to do what they, the religious leaders, were failing to do. They're teaching the word of God. They're counseling you with the word of God. They're judging you with the word of God. And although it doesn't match up, uh, we're going to see how it is that he called them hypocrites. They were actors. They were acting something that they were not, genuinely. Regardless of what they do or do not do for you, you are still expected to to obediently follow the Word. It has nothing to do with Him. It has to do with whom you claim to follow. Jesus Christ, not man, but Jesus Christ, the Lord, God. Whose authority do we fall under? Is it the Word of God or man? It should always be the Word of God. He should be the one that's governing us as we subject ourselves willfully to Him and we express our love for Him by being obedient to his word. What anyone else does or does not do is to have no bearing on the authority of God's word on your life. And then Jesus goes on to give examples of what they do that is not right. So remember, they're, just imagine them there. Dressing the, the crowd, the disciples. And in verse 4. He says, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They require people to do, to observe things they themselves are not willing to do, not willing to observe. It's frustrating to be under someone who expects more out of you than they're willing to do themselves. Isn't it? It's like, and we know, I mean... Um, perhaps you have a boss right now that's that way, <laughs> you know, that expects you to do something they, they ha- have never done and are not willing to do themselves right now. It's kind of, it's kind of frustrating, but that, at the same time, okay, Jesus is not telling you, yeah, I understand your frustration, I, I understand all of those things, but that does not justify you slacking or you not following and doing those things which you know are right does not justify that at all. On the other hand, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is in direct contrast to what we have before us. They're they're laying these heavy burdens on the people, and Jesus is saying, No, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come unto me, learn from me. We need to understand that, that Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, should never be burdensome. It should be liberating. It should be freeing. Where the spirit of the Lord, Lord is, there is. You guys don't know that one. Okay, there's okay. So there's, there's this thing to where sometimes I do require some audience participation. <laughs> All right. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Can you take like this deep breath? freedom right it is it's like the burden is lifted off because it is you don't have a burden in the Lord you will truly find rest you will find peace you will find hope but where these men were and what they were teaching and what they were requiring it was what is called legalism you know, and legalism is requiring something of someone in order to gain salvation. And, you know, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Really, our lives of obedience to the Lord should be a response to the grace and love that we have come to know. Not because it's a set of rules and because it's in the Word, I have to follow it, I have to. I just. It's hard but I just have to do this. No, it shouldn't be burdensome. It should be, I get to do this. I have the freedom to choose now between sinning and deliberately sinning and being obedient to the Word of God. I have that choice. I either bless the Lord or I don't bless the Lord and I deal with the consequences of that. 1 Peter 5.7 says, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He wants to take on all of that. These Pharisees, these scribes, Sadducees, the religious leaders, they, they didn't care about that. We need to understand a couple things here. God's word is not burden, a burdensome list of rules and regulations, but rather is a book that communicates who God is and gives us the plan of salvation. You read it from cover to cover, it gives you the plan of salvation all throughout. Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament points to the New Testament, which is a fulfillment of all the prophecies that we see in the Old Testament. And it all points to Jesus. It's the way of reconciliation and at the same time helps us understand that God's grace does not give us license to sin as the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans. God's grace should lead us to a place in our lives that we desire to please Him. Bless Him, glorify Him with our lives. Why? Because we come to understand how it is that He first loved us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 5. Here's another way. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Um, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. It goes on. But they love to be seen by others. Love it. Absolutely. They're show-offs. That's what this is. They, they want to show how religious and spiritual they are. They like to be admired by others, not simply because that's who they are. For the person who is genuinely in love with Jesus Christ, you don't need nothing like big old, yo, you know, you see my cross here? (laughs) Was that about, right? Yeah? Yeah. I asked Gabe because he knows all about stuff like that, so... You don't need all of this external stuff, right? It's just, you just know this person, there's something different. And then, and then you come to a place to where you realize, oh, they love, they love Jesus. That's, that's what it is. And they can't help but just express their love for Jesus in their interaction with you. Nothing external. But these people, they're show-offs. They, they, they want to they give off this, this appearance, They're really religious. How do they show off? Well, the second part of chapter or verse five says, "For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long." Phylacteries—small leather boxes with tiny scrolls with uh, scripture written on them. So, little boxes, leather boxes, and they have scripture written on them, little scrolls. These phylacteries were to be tied up to the arm or to the head with these leather straps. Fringes. These were hanging knotted tassels that reminded them of keeping God's law. Today, they're called, and I hope I pronounce it right, Tzitzitz? Is that right? You guys know? T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T-S. How would you say it? All right. (laughs) There's these tassels that hang down. I have some in my office. They're a gift. And these Pharisees and these scribes, these religious leaders, they would make these phylacteries real big, real big, hang them off their arms and their heads, right? And these tassels, I don't know couldn't imagine how they looked. I mean, how long did you want to make them and big knots, maybe weave some nice, uh, I don't know. It's just, they would make them to where there was no doubt these guys were extra religious. They were just super spiritual. Oh my, they must have a prominent position within, within the synagogue. Amazing, right? They loved this though. What they loved is the adoration of the people. The, these religious leaders wanted to make sure their phylacteries and fringes were the biggest and best-looking ones in order for others to know that they were very spiritual. They weren't willing to lift a finger, though, to do what they imposed on others. They look good on the outside, but um, they were not good for what they taught. Didn't want to do it. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. And listen, words are empty unless there's action. It's just empty. You can, say, you can say you love God all you want, but unless you fall in line with the word of God and demonstrate your love for God, uh, falling in line with the word of God, why? Because it's simply an expression of your love for the Lord. Then really your words are empty. You have no idea, uh, idea what you're saying. No idea whatsoever. Know the Word of God, and therefore know how to express your love for the Lord by being obedient to the Lord. Why? Simply because you desire to bless Him and glorify Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Verse Uh, 6. Here's another example. In verse 6, it says, and they love the place of honor at feasts. And the best seats in the synagogues. Center court at the Lakers game. If you could put me center court, um, that would be wonderful. Down on the floor, up front. Actually, I'm kind of expecting that seat. So that would be great. Right, right there. In, in in church, you know what, guys? Can we put up some seats right here? And just, we'll put up like, like those that that tithe the most and and those that come I don't even know so don't <laughs> I'm joking about that but at the same time there are churches that do that very same that very thing they'll put up those who are like most honorable in that way and this is what these people loved they love to be just exalted to be broad and be placed in the best seats in the places of honor these religious leaders expected to be treated like vips wherever they went they wanted to be admired by the people with this they loved hearing the people greeting them as rabbis out in public or to be called father because he continues on and saying and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. They love all these things. There are some today that expect to be called reverend or, or even the very reverend. There's only one reverend, and that is no man, right? It's just the Lord God. He's reverent. Also, prophet, apostle. These these are like call me by my title. Really, those are that. That's what he's saying. Is don't don't desire those. Don't pursue those. Don't, don't insist on that. Don't put that burden on the people. Remember that this is not what really should be. At the same time, we need to understand that Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15 and to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2 refers to the Corinthians as, as a, a father in the faith. But we understand the context is, don't. he's not saying, make sure from here on out, you know, I, I have done so much for you and I, I want you to consider me uh, being, you know, your father. And so from here on out, call me Father Paul. He was not saying that. He was saying in a relationship, in how it is that we we have come to know each other, I feel like a father in the faith to you. I feel like we have this deep love for each other. I have this amazing love for you. I desire the best for you. I, I desire that you would draw closer unto the Lord. And... Even though you've been carnal, although you've you know, gone through all these issues, I'm not, gonna, I'm not leaving you. I'm not, I'm not abandoning you. But, but like, like a father, I'm coming to you and I'm explaining these errors and I'm asking you to, to repent of those things and come to the right knowledge in life, abiding in Christ and blessing Him within the church. Like a father, but he wasn't insisting on being called Something other than brother Paul. (laughs) Also to young Timothy. He was his protege. And he felt like a father to him. He felt. And he knew this place. Was given to him with full responsibility. Of really bringing him up in the faith. He was like a father to him but he wasn't telling Timothy from here on out you know I'm you know call me father paul it wasn't like that paul did not seek that nor did he allow anyone to give him that there are so many things that we can say about the apostle paul how he could have required it of many people how he could have spoken with just definite authority over people and yet He desired that as He corrected them, as He rebuked them, as He exhorted them, that they would respond to the words that He was sharing with them, but by a love that they had for God. Not simply because He was saying it. What Jesus is referring to here is to attribute to someone what belongs to God alone. That is absolute power, fatherhood, and authority. That's what he's referring to. And Jesus was also warning against having this affection for a title. A person who is humble and truly seeking to serve God will do so without a title. And if the person has a title, they will not serve the title, but God who ordained that place of service and will do so with humility and utmost respect and honor for God. He will not steal God's glory. But sometimes people are waiting to be given a title in order to serve God. If that's what you're waiting for, I I really hope that God gives me and the leadership here discernment to identify that and not give you a place. (laughs) You know what? If God gives you a desire to serve him, to bless him, serve him and bless him. Just do it. And you know what? It'll be known. And we'll simply agree with God and bring you right into the place that God has for you. That's it. That's it. There's also a place, though, and I do want to say this. For those who are called... To come into a place to where they ask for prayer. Okay? To ask brothers to come alongside, hopefully the leadership, that they may be used in a way that God perhaps has called them to serve. And that's a good thing. But again, it'll be known by how they are. These men, God... Jesus was saying these men are not genuine they're placing burdens on the people they they like the the good places the best places uh, the positions uh, the favor they like all of these things they like the titles but not serving the people they like to be served. So these men demanded to be addressed as such and expected to be treated as VIPs. Jesus corrected this, explained that their way of thinking was not right. To be given a place of influence and leadership is a great responsibility and comes with God's accountability and actually places someone in a place of greater servitude that demands humility. It demands it. Because in verse 11 or verse 12, I mean, verse 11 and then in 12, it says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's how it is in God's economy. It's wonderful, and it's beautiful to see someone who just simply desires to serve and does it with humility. Doesn't expect anything. Just desires to serve. And so Jesus warned the people. Now they were responsible and accountable for exercising discernment according to knowledge, according to what Jesus had said, following him in these matters. And so that is the same with us. As, we're, as we come into this understanding the knowledge of God's word, we are therefore now accountable. We are responsible for carrying these words out in our lives, to bless and glorify God. And it it's also serves um, to give us these, these railings and these warning signs to where we can walk with confidence uh, in safety in the Lord. So he goes on and um, he gives these eight woes to the religious leaders. Verses 13 through 36 are those woes. We're going to cover three of the eight woes in verses 13 through 15. So in verse 13, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now, I know that Jesus goes a little light on them. <laughs> Woe is a word of condemnation, strong. He minces no words, and he lays it out very clear. There, there's only a, only a few words that he says, but is there any question about what he's saying? Absolutely not, right? He's not asking them. He's telling them. These woes refer to what they are guilty of and serve as warnings of condemnation. There is no way of misunderstanding what Jesus was saying here. No way of misunderstanding this. No way. It was abundantly clear Jesus was calling them out and specifically addressing their hypocrisy in these matters. And this is the way that you are letting everyone know that you're hypocrites, but... Most importantly, how it is that you have revealed yourself to God as being a hypocrite. Acting, not being genuine. Because hypocrites means an actor, someone who is playing a part and not someone they are in real life. Not genuine. These people are not who they come off to be. They are one thing in public and someone else in private. And Jesus is telling them that this will serve to testify against them before the judge. Uh, You know, there are those that fall, but there there are those who are simply revealed for who they are. And sometimes we think, oh, they they, they fell. Um, Not always, It was only revealed where they've been the whole time. Number one in verse 13. They were teachers of the law, and yet they served to prevent people from entering the kingdom of heaven, which they themselves uh, were not going into. Instead of leading people into the kingdom of heaven, they were preventing people from entering the kingdom of heaven. And yet Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. And yet they not only rejected Jesus, but also served to prevent others from seeing Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what they were working on. So they themselves did not receive Jesus Christ, Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, but they also prevented others from seeing him as the Messiah. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew it, but other people who were coming, they were saying, Oh, don't believe that. that that's not him. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Now look with me at verse 14. You guys have verse 14? Yeah? In, in what Bible? In the New King James. In the New King James, right? How many of you have the New King James? All right. Yes, we? Okay. All right. um, New King James, it does have it. So it, it, it says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Now, this verse is oftentimes found in the margin or not included at all in some translations of the Bible because it is thought to be added later because it is present in Mark chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 20. And therefore, it was inserted into this. The earliest manuscripts of of the Gospel of Matthew does not include this verse. But does it belong in the Bible? Yes, it's in Mark and Luke. So, for the sake of these woes, we will go over Matthew chapter 23, verse 14. It's for our benefit. They would literally figure out ways to deceive widows out of their homes, like literally. I mean, how, how can you justify this? taking advantage of widows you know if the widow with two mites came and she gave all that she had i want all the widows to come up here please you have homes cuz i'm i'm hearing from god right now <laughs> that you are to give everything you you know what i mean it's kind of like whoa <laughs> but there are the Correct me if I'm wrong. Are there preachers that say that very same thing? Give, give till it's just like your everything. You know, sell everything and just bring it here. God will bless you. He will a hundredfold, sometimes a thousandfold. You know, it's the gospel. It's not the gospel. uh, Prosperity. They were swindling widows out of their homes. Dishonest men. And Jesus knew this. Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus was revealing these things. He's saying, Woe are the scribes and Pharisees, for this is what they do. And they were like, Hey, we're still listening here, right? Well, good. Because it gives you a point of reference to repent. These are the things that are being revealed by the Lord. He knows all things. They not only did that, they were thieves, swindlers, but they also worked on speaking eloquent and long prayers so that others would admire them. They were not sincere prayers, but they were just for show. Empty. Uh, Just hot wind. That's it. Their audience was not really God. It was the people. They desired the glory that belonged to God, and it was at His expense at His expense. Too many people are still trying to seek their own glory at God's expense. Now, just keep in mind, these were the scribes and the Pharisees. They were serving. They were in ministry to God. And yet God was warning. And He's warning us today. There are still people that, that are using God to bring themselves glory. Wrong thing to do. Do not touch God's glory. But Jesus said they will receive the greater condemnation which speaks of degrees of punishment. Some will have it worse in hell than others. And we see it by this simple verse. I couldn't even imagine that. And then thirdly, verse 15. says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. (laughs) Again, Jesus was not holding anything back. He was just like laying it out. Right? Children of hell, just like you. That's who your converts are. Wow. Evangelism to make others just as blind as they were. Romans 10.2 says this, For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They are willing to go to great lengths to convert people to Judaism. But what they were offering is a religious burden that led them to the same place they were. Nowhere. In a place of darkness. Rejecting Jesus Christ. And in addition to that, placing heavy burdens on. ...on them that they themselves could not bear. This is not what Jesus desired. Jesus desired to remove this burden from the people... ...to bring them into the light and open their eyes to the grace of God... ...and be reconciled to the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. There are plenty of people who are led to places... ...and to groups that teach a code of ethics. Their God is morality. And they believe that they are little gods... ...or working toward a place in heaven or just want to be good people in the world to make a difference for the sake of humanity. But these are deliberate knockoffs, fake, false, and imitations of what is real and true, and they lead a person right to hell. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are false, and they are not Christians. They don't worship the same God, and they, like these scribes and Pharisees, are very zealous, they're very passionate, and go to great lengths to convert people. And yet they are gathering people in deception and they themselves are bringing them on the very same road that they are on and that is a road leading to hell. It's not the same God. It's not the same Jesus. Come to know that. Understand it. Jesus was warning them, hey, listen, you're leading these people, not only um, holding them back from coming to the kingdom of heaven, but you're, you're also you're leading them to the same very same place you are, in a place of darkness. Woe to you. Woe to you. And these are three of eight woes that Jesus gives. Next week we'll continue and we'll go over the next five and then we'll we'll see how it is that Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. But with that understood, he also looks at all of us he looks at the world as a whole and he desires that we would all come to this place of repentance that's why he warns us of these things listen come not not because you have these these rules and these laws and all this come because i the lord jesus is just offering grace his love compassion These are very important in closing that I want to address. And these warnings and woes is found in the heart of God. He goes to great lengths to help us know His love. He instructs and explains and He also warns and communicates the blessings and the cursings that come as a result of what we ourselves choose. And even in all of what we've studied this morning, God's desire is that none should perish. Not even these scribes and these Pharisees. He wasn't saying these words so that it's like, okay, so you're condemned. You're, you're done. That's it. I want to just say these words because I want to warn these people and uh, I want nothing to do with you. That was not his intent. His intent was just to warn those people who are willing to hear, but also to give these people an opportunity to repent of what was wrong. Turn from it. Turn to me. It's not too late. The thief on the cross. Not too late. Come to me now. Is always his cry. It's never too late. Don't be duped into believing, thinking that it's too late. I've done too much. I've gone too far. Don't believe that. The Lord is always ready to receive with open arms. He who simply turns confesses and just desires for the Lord to be Lord in their lives and Savior. With this, the warning of the people of hypocrisy, of the religious leaders, it made them accountable for exercising discernment with full knowledge and not doing as the hypocrites did, but rather following Jesus and exercising their faith in God alone. It, It has nothing to do with other people. Please do not use other people as excuses why you yourself are not following the Lord or or coming in to enjoy fellowship or anything like that. Don't don't use other people. It has nothing to do with them, it just has to do with a relationship with the Lord. Grow with Him. Look unto Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on Him and on no one else. If, If you're bitter, confess that and repent, give it to the Lord. That's a burden you should not be carrying. If you're angry, upset, resentful, all of those things with anyone, especially in the church, let it go. It's not for you to carry. It's for you to repent of. It's sin to continue carrying that, knowing that the Lord is requiring of you repentance. That's what he desires. Let it go. Give it to him. It's a burden you should not be carrying. Give it to him. God doesn't desire to put a burden on you except for the love of Christ, but to lift the burden, to bless you with His grace and mercy, knowing forgiveness and His love. And I pray that each and every one of you know this type of love. And I'll say this again, and I'll close with this. Matthew 11, chapter 28, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. For loving us. The way you have, the way you do, and the way you always will. Thank you, Lord, that you made a way for us. To know forgiveness. a way of knowing a relationship with you without any fear of losing it because of what we've done or not done, Lord. And I do ask, Father, that you would pour your spirit out upon each and every person here. Lord, we are in desperate need. Lord, of your spirit guiding and directing us, empowering us, Lord, to bless you to deal with things that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Lord, give us understanding of your word that we may exercise wisdom to our blessing, our benefit, and to your glory. I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know salvation, that today be the day of salvation. Lord, that they simply cry out to you, ask for your forgiveness, and know that there's nothing that they need to do Other than confess you, Lord Jesus, as Lord, as Savior. And know that they have the hope of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we just commit ourselves to you. We ask your blessing, Father. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you are. And just for that compassion and love that you have.